If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. On this episode of The Transition, I'm joined by Army veteran, leadership coach, and serial entrepreneur, Sean Patton, founder of Stronger Leaders, Stronger Profits, which helps companies increase their profitability by developing stronger leaders. I met Sean last year when the Bunker Labs crew flew into Nashville, Tennessee for a team fly-in. After hearing him speak about his journey from the Army, his passion for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and the challenge of opening up his own gym, I had to get him on the show. After graduating from West Point, Sean spent 10 years as an Army officer, half of which was in Special Forces. Together, we discuss how he's managed to leverage his leadership experience in the military and apply it to the business world through leadership slash executive coaching, as well as his experience founding and running multiple jujitsu gyms in the Nashville area. Before you hear from Sean and I, be sure to subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, reach out to me directly at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, MetLife Foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Sean, welcome to The Transition. What's going on, my man? Oh, not much, Mike. I know we've met in the past a couple of times. We've talked about it, so I'm really excited to finally get this recorded and done and, and get a chance to chat with you. So I don't know if Sean knows this, but you and I are kindred spirits in a couple of ways. Number one, we're both graduated from service academies. We both run gyms. I run a boxing gym. You run the UFC gym. And you've been coaching for a while through Stronger Leaders, Stronger Profits. And I recently became a coach with the Lions Pride. So like I'm fired oh, up wow. to learn about you know your 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 coaching journey, what it's like to get that off the ground, and uh, talk a lot about that as well as the work you've been doing down in Nashville, going out the Bunker Labs ecosystem down there. Because I had a chance to meet you in person, we hung out. It was a great event, and there's just a lot of energy in Nashville. I'm not gonna lie. Like I was at that entrepreneurial center down there, and I was like, this is pretty dope. Yeah, it really is. The you know I came to sort of the Middle Tennessee, Nashville, greater area. All the way back in 2006, my first duty station as an army officer was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, which is about 45 minutes away, and just sort of fell in love with the area. And I, I was lucky enough over my 10 years as an officer, where if I wasn't training or deployed, I was pretty much at Fort Campbell because I was in the 101st Airborne Division, then 5th Special Forces Group. And and yeah, so it's like Nashville is my second home. And to see the growth down here in Nashville, and there is so much energy in almost all facets. You, you know, the, people come down because they want to party and have a good time, but there's a lot of momentum and, and energy and excitement around the business growth. And it's starting to become sort of a tech hub, an entrepreneur hub, and it's already a healthcare hub and the finance is following it. So it's just really cool to be yeah, in an area that is, is just like up and coming and is sort of the it, the it area in so many facets is a lot of, a lot of, you meet a lot of cool people, a lot of people moving here, you know, to sort of chase dreams. So it makes it a fun place to be. Now, one of the things that you and I, like I said, also share is podcasting. So I know you run a podcast, podcast, is it podcast, is it Leaders Academy? What is it called? Oh, so the Stronger Leaders Academy I do, it's not necessarily a podcast, but I've, yeah, I've created a digital platform and that, that really came out of a, a market need. So when I started, when I started doing these, a lot of workshops, even the beta versions with these companies through Stronger Strong Profits, I mean, I was working generally with, you know, senior managers, VPs, stuff like that, right? So. And then I do executive coaching with sort of the executive C-suite level. And then I started realizing as I, worked, as I worked with more and more companies that one of the big issues was, you know, 80%, 70% of a company, a big company is under the first two, three levels of management. You know, my, my wife is, a, she just got promoted as a senior sales manager. And if you look at it, you've got your sales team, your, your junior managers, and you've got senior managers, even that is culture in a company, right? Like that, it's not the, the CEO in his office. It's not, it's not the day-to-day -day leadership culture. It's the relationships 
of those junior managers. And I saw that they were getting left out of this training. There wasn't a lot of investment. There was a lot of lip service on we invest in our people and we take and we train these leaders. But when you actually look like broke it apart and, and looked inside, it, it wasn't all the, all the investment was going at the higher levels. And so we created the stronger leaders Academy as a digital platform. So people can use it on their app or they can log in on the computer. And it's really a sort of plug and play, you know, six month leadership development Academy focused on junior leaders that walks them through self-leadership, whole person, fundamental, whole person, leadership fundamentals, and then leading within an organization. And then my goal is that, you know, I've got some clients right now that are plugging that in at their first three levels, check in with their, with their middle level manager, operational level managers that are going through workshops and then coming in as a consulting on top. So we're able to plug in at all three levels. I like to divide company leadership up into, you know, the three levels of warfare that we're all familiar with, tactical, operational, strategic. And so that was a way for companies to scale and get sort of level set leadership culture and push it all the way down to, you know, those on the ground leaders. Love it, man. And I think we do bring a lot of leadership experience to business, but sometimes it's about, how do I say this? Applying it in the right way. So like the leadership we learn in the military, the field of play is combat, right? Versus the field of play is business, driving profits, taking care of our people, right? And so there's an art and science to it. Like you said, having frameworks that you can implement and everything. But like the more and more I continue to grow my own entrepreneurial journey, the more I can see the pattern recognition. And I'm actually bringing on another coach named Chris Hallback, who wrote the business. He's known as the business sergeant. And he's like this big time EOS implementer, like one of number nine management leaders in the, in the country. But there is a lot of overlap there. And so it's just great to be able to talk to you about coaching, man, because we've only had, I believe, Bill Watkins on, who's my coach on the platform. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's something important. I think it's something that the community needs to be aware about because it's just uh, one, there's a career path out there for people, right? Mm -hmm. Two, as entrepreneurs, there's like that next level of entrepreneurship and you start peeling behind the curtain and you start to see that people work with coaches and experts to help them operate more efficiently. And so you don't know what you don't know until you start to get in masterminds, you start to get in these groups and you start to see what's really there. So- No, yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I mean- Talk about, I guess, if you go earlier, you asked me kind of what, what kicked off this growth, you know, earlier. But for me, one of the key sort of milestones for me was when I did hire my own one-on-one -on -one business coach, which was, you know, before starting to Charm Profits. This was, you know, five, six years ago. And it just everyone needs a coach. Like, it's just, it's almost, like, it's almost insane for you to think that you can wade out into something as complex of entrepreneurial work, starting a whole company, doing that, and know all the assets, all the other aspects of that. And the mental work that has to go into it and the development that has to happen. And you just look at the, you know, the failure rates of these businesses and you think you're just going to go out and like you have all the answers already, or you can go out and even have the time to go find all the answers. And that's one of the values that coaches can provide. And, and, and you know, good consultants is look, there's a whole wide range of information out there. And yeah, you can go read it all, right? You can go figure it all out, but that's you, you only have so much time and energy. So the value comes in that you have someone else who maybe has been in this area, this specialty, been seen and studying this for way longer than you have that could just, I've read all the books, I've done all the research, I've dialed it down. Here are the three things that apply to you today and just take those and run with them. Like that's the value. That's what you're paying for, right? It's like you're renting their brain and, and, and also just having an objective person to look at your business, at your company that isn't as emotionally involved in the day-to-day because -day, it's so hard and we get wrapped up in our own emotions and our own biases and our own belief systems. And Hey, this should work this way. And, and it skews it a bit. And to just have an objective experienced third party that can just unemotionally look at it and say, Hey, by the way, idiot, like look to your right. Oh, you know, and there's like something right there that you should have seen that you, you didn't cause you just have those blinders on of just going. So, I mean, anyone who's really serious about their business, even about their own performance, if you know, even a senior leader, I mean, they all have mentors. You all have coaches. Like, you know, we're both athletes, right? Like, name, name me one great professional athlete that just never had a coach. Like, they just, for, since the time they were five, they just watched YouTube videos and now they're in the Olympics. Like, that, that's just not a thing. That, that, that would never be expected in, in the athletic world. But in the business world, you get these entrepreneurs like, 
I don't know, $500 a month. I don't know if I can handle that for the rest of my life. Like, if you're not willing to invest the, the money and put in the work, then yeah, you can get there, but your chances of success go way down and the amount of time and energy and because you're going to have to make known mistakes, you're going to make them on your own over and over again. It's like, there's, you're going to make enough mistakes that are, that are unavoidable. <laughs> let's, let's try to avoid as many of the historical mistakes that people have made before as we can. Yeah, man, 100%. And what I'm, I'm actually writing about explaining this, I think it's a different mental model. So like coaching makes sense when you're going to compete for a national championship as a boxer. Like you're not getting in the ring without a coach. Right. They're going to give you a plan. You're going to train, you know, the whole nine yards. Same thing for football and basketball. And these are just sports, whether professional or amateur. Right. Amateur athletes have coaches. But then the most important thing we're doing with our lives, these businesses, right, our livelihood, we're investing in them. The last thing we think about is having a coach in our corner. And so it's a different mental model. And so for me, I got my first coach, Bill, back in 2019. And since then. I just experienced the growth and I actually have two coaches. One is Bill and the other one, her name is Pia Silva. And she helps micro agency owners increase their profit mm. while increase their profit while lowering their overhead. She calls it the no BS agency model. So like I will always have a virtual assistant and I'll always have some kind of business coach for whatever venture I have moving forward, just because it's, it's too hard, you know, to go at it alone. Oh yeah. Well, my, and my, my business coach's name is John Michael Morgan. I love him. He's awesome. And you know, he started, I started actually, I met him because I had the UFC gym. I actually have transitioned. Now. I've got my own brand called Legion Jiu-Jitsu and we do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and MMA around the Nashville area. We got four locations now. It's doing great. But his kids came in to do Jiu-Jitsu and he was a UFC fan and I sort of met him and we started talking, found out what he did. And I was like, I've, I'm the owner here, but it's my first business. I'm kind of struggling. And he just offered his time up front, you know, for free, just, just to meet. And we did a little trade off with his kids and eventually I'm like, man, this is, I need this in my life. So I was like, I'm going to start paying you. I know like it was in the budget, like how much do I need to make in order to hire you? Because I realized early on, you know, like you said, how critical it is. And it's almost mind boggling. Entrepreneurs, especially in the service center, I think because the, the, the barrier to entry can be so low now because of technology, right? Like you can get into business now with hundreds of dollars as before I used to have tens of thousands or a hundred thousands of dollars to start a company. And so these barriers to entry are so low that I guess people think they're going to, you know, start a company and not have, not have any initial investment. It's just going to be profit side. They're just going to make revenue. And if you look at any other sort of traditional business, like, you, you know, these companies would invest, you know, I don't know, $10 million in a factory that is going to take them seven years to ever turn a profit. But like, that's what business is. You have to invest in, yeah. in it. And, and so when people create a business plan, I think they're going to start a service-based model and it's going to cost them $20 a month and they're not going to have to pay a coach or pay someone to do marketing or pay someone to do analytics or pay some, you know, it's just, it's, you have to, you have to anticipate every business has expenses that you need to put into it. And especially if you're going at your own and you're, you're the one providing the service, well, you better be ready to invest in yourself and grow or, you know, your chances of success go way down. Yeah, man. I tell people, just give it three months, right? What's case, worst case scenario, right? Like I, I did, I worked with a West Point grad, Ian Falu, Fulau, from a Clear Mix, right? He was the CEO of Clear Mix. And I bought six videos from him for, for like $5,000, okay? Right? That's a big investment, right? For a small business owner. But the thing was, I was like, worst case scenario, one of those videos, right? Not worst case scenario. Even if I get one client off of one of those videos, it pays for itself, right? Exactly. And I give myself, you know, three to six months to make that ROI back. And sure enough, I made it back within the first month. So, you know, understanding what leverage is and, you know, how to, you know, take risk, right? There's no guaranteed success, but the cost, what you're really thinking is like, what if this doesn't, what if I don't do something, right? Like I can't be stuck on this hamster wheel. So like, yo, let me invest 2,500 or whatever to work with someone, right? with the opportunity to get off this hamster wheel and reach that elevated level of entrepreneurship where I have more clarity and focus. And I don't feel like I'm just putting out fires all day. No, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I think this is an important conversation, even for, you know, listeners here that aren't necessarily business owners, you know, maybe they are, or maybe they're transitioning and they're business leaders, you know, and, and even, 
as we you know talk about like veterans transitioning into into the private sector into business or people that as they start to rise inside a company they want to you know grow within a larger organization you still got to invest in yourself you know you still have to if you know what what gets you to it's that old adage like what got you to the level you're at now is never going to get you to the next level so you can't just do the same thing and continue to see increasing increasing results and so investing in yourself in in any of those areas and i think that's what i think it's a common factor that you see whether it's in athletics or whether it's in entrepreneurism or whether it's in just the greater business world or even life and happiness fulfillment if you look at the people that are at the highest levels or we would call successful in each one of those ventures you would probably see a commonality of them prioritizing their own development as much or if not greater than the work they're doing at their job or their function or the, you know they 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 realize I'm going to take 20% of my time and that's going to be spent you know that's me doing healthy practices that's me making sure I go to the gym that's making sure I sleep right that's me you know working with a trainer or a nutritionist or a business coach or a marketing person or you know I'm going to invest in I'm going to do these retreats and work on my mindset and am I meditating am I journaling you know, like the people, it, it doesn't matter if you're just an entrepreneur, just in life to be successful, be happy, fulfilled, have great relationships, be financially free, be a great parent. A great, those are almost across the board. What I've seen are those are always people who will make a priority for their own development ahead of almost everything else, because they realize that impacts everything, the bottom line of everything else. What I'm learning too is, when you do hard things that put you on the edge of your own competency, right? It triggers that like self-development or you die. Basically mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. You know, it's like people that are doing hard things. Like I think about even when I was boxing, right? Like I used to watch Muhammad Ali videos. I watch YouTube videos and stuff, but I don't ever remember reading about like human performance. You know what I'm saying? I don't ever remember reading about like atomic habits and all this other stuff. Right. I just showed up. I did my work in the gym and stuff, et cetera. But being an entrepreneur, the risk I felt, you know, I have, I haven't, I mean, I've invested more in self-development. I've been more intentional about my workouts, all those things from being an entrepreneur because it's that hard. It challenges me that hard that I feel like I, you know, I don't know. I got to be better. I got to be better to stay alive and survive through the pandemic you know, in the recession and stuff, et cetera. It's like, yeah, we can invest in the business, but at the end of the day, like I need to show up and be confident that no matter what happens, right? Like I'm going to survive and thrive. Mm -hmm. Man. And we talked about before we started recording about, you know, getting vulnerable. So, and it, for me doing that here, there was, you know, I growing up, I mean, I, as I, I, I don't want to say like, oh, I grew, I didn't like grow up in the gutters or anything, right? Like it wasn't bad. I grew up in a small town in Kansas, but I grew up, you know, with a single mom. She, you know, raised me, worked full time, put herself through undergrad and grad school to make a better life for us. Like set the example for me there. And then got, when she got married, my, I had a, a stepfather when I was a teenager that showed, like I learned from. And, but still, you know, I generally worked really hard and I had good success even growing up in athletics and in life. I went to West Point, right? You got in the service academy. So you're this West Point grad, then you're, you know, Ranger school, then you're, you know, the Comet deployed, then you get your Green Beret, then you're all these things that happen. It's just like, man, I'm unstoppable, unstoppable. It's like in my head, it always was as, as long as I just keep work, the answer is just keep rucking, right? The answer is just keep pushing and eventually you'll get through. And, and then I had kind of back to back, you know, difficult times to be as I transitioned the military. One went through a divorce right before I got in the military. So it's like, oh man, I failed, right? You, you're like, I failed at the, the most important relationship I'm supposed to have. And then start my first company and have some tr struggles, go out and raise a bunch of money. And, and, it, and it, it was failing and I couldn't get it profitable. And I remember my, my wife now that I'm married to now, but we were dating the time and I just, you know, I spent 22 months, I was almost two years of my life in combat, you know, 22 months in combat, 30 months deployed, how many firefights, two bronze, all this stuff. And I'd never had a panic attack until entrepreneurism. And I had my, you know, and I had physical symptoms. I'd go to the hospital. I had like hives and broken wounds from the stress because when you get in entrepreneurism, the problem that I see a lot of, a lot of, especially special ops guys or military guys come out is when you're in the military, like the mission always ends. 
right? There's always a redeployment. At some point, you're coming home. At some point, the training's over. At some point, the sun's going to come up and you're going to stop walking. But in entrepreneurism, it's it, it's not like that. And and I had I the this sort of mindset that some veterans have. We get out and it's just like just push harder. I think I see a lot of us like cra- crash and burn, and it started happening to me where my physical health was de- deteriorated, and I had these I had two panic attacks. And I never had one in, in, in at war, you know, but I had it from my business. And I remember I was like crying, panicky, shaking. And and that's just the the mindset that I have is I want to impact the world. I have these grand visions of how I want to impact the world and make my life matter. And who I was, I was this the guy who couldn't fail, who just kept pushing, was always succeed. And here I was with a failing business. I remember crying and being like, how in the F am I going to change the world if I can't sell a gym membership? Yeah. Like that, in my mind, it was just this this whole self-identity crisis of failure. and what the vision I had of what I was going to do with my life all seemed like it was crashing down because I couldn't do the simple thing. And then you look at other people having success and you're like, how are they doing it? And not me, what, what's wrong with me? And it just really got me in this like really dark mental place for a while. And so if we're not careful because we're putting so much into this, it'll eat you alive and spit you out. And, you know, we talk about the the suicide rate of veterans, but the suicide rate of entrepreneurs is actually super high too. People, People are taking their lives over the stress of these things. And, and, and so we've got to do more to talk about that, support each other, get ourselves in some groups and coaches because it's, it's too hard and it's too lonely to, to do it yourself. This is an important conversation. And I think it's more important for us as veterans and military spouses because we don't know any better, but we put so much of our identity in our venture, right? Not our identity in being the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur gets knocked down and gets, you know what I mean? You get punched in the face. That's what it is. You fail a lot. That's just what it is. But because we're, our identity is in this one venture, our first one out the gate that we tell everybody about, right? And we go public with it. And so when we fail, we fail publicly. And you're like, oh, I'm a Marine. You know, I'm a combat vet, right? Like I told all my friends about this. So it just starts to eat away at you, right? And because your venture is failing, you feel like you're failing. Right. Because we haven't separated the two. So I want to encourage you all listening, man. Make sure you I, you need to create the identity of an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur takes a bunch of swings at the plate. Some are home runs, you know, some are base hits and some are strikeouts. But that's what comes with the territory. And I'll tell you, man, you know, when I quit my job in 2018, right, two weeks later, my girlfriend at the time of three years broke up with me. I got the tires stolen off my car in Newark. And everyone was like, Mike, why are you living in Newark? And I was like, man, I love Newark. It's a great city. They're like, man, it's a rough city. I got my tires stolen off my car. And I was dealing with, you know, trying to get this venture off the ground. So I had like liquidated my savings and a bunch of stuff. And I remember sitting in, you know, I live, there's a Whole Foods in my building. There's a little food court out there. And I just remember sitting there eating. And I was like, I just remember like dry heaving. And I had to like run back to my apartment. And I was like in my apartment, like laid out over my toilet like dry heaving. And I was like, what is going on? And I think that was like an anxiety or just that overwhelming feeling. And it only happened once, but that's all it takes. But I'm saying like, this stuff is that hard that it triggers it. And when you're around real entrepreneurs, when you're around groups that get vulnerable, they're going to keep it real with you. Because I know we are instant, you know, we love to see the Forbes 30 under 30. You know, we see all these awards. You see the Gary Vanderchucks and all that other stuff. But behind the scenes, man, People are having, people are struggling, keeping it together. And that's why, you know, we have coaches, we have mentors, we have masterminds to be a part of, you know, because, you know, going through this with other people that have been there, that have experienced it and can guide you and be a support network, man, that's huge. I absolutely love, I'm, by the way, I'm stealing that phrase that you got to focus on being an entrepreneur, not the venture, because that is, you're, you're exactly right. And then what does that mean? you know, to, to identify yourself outside of that venture, outside of that identity. And, you know, I think there's, so there's two things there. One, you need this. If you're in the entrepreneur space, you've got to surround yourself by other people in the entrepreneur space. Cause we just think different. And like you said, any, any group of experienced entrepreneurs, if you're in that group and you say, man, I put on my life savings in this, I think I'm going to lose it. That response you're going to get from them is always going to be like, oof, okay where are you at? What can, you know, like, how can I help you? Don't, don't worry about it. Like you're going to have half of them be like, I've been there too, bro. Like, you know, that, that is the reaction again. And then, but at least the procedure, if you're around 
people aren't entrepreneurs, maybe just aren't their mindset isn't that way. They're in sort of that employee mindset, that sort of like standard traditional mindset. They're going to be like, oh my God, well, you know, hey, my, my company's hiring. If you need anything, you know, like they're, the way they're going to view that is like, oh, you, I can't believe you put all your savings into this. Like that, that mindset of that sort of employee mindset and the reaction I get is, is so different than the people who have the entrepreneur mindset and their response to that and their support you're going to get. They just, you just can't understand it unless you've gone through it. But once you're surrounded by those people, that's why we get energy from going to these conferences and masterminds and like-minded people because we're finally surrounded by, you know, other, other people who kind of think like we do, think about life, want the same things. And, and so, yeah, I think identifying yourself as an entrepreneur and not like entrepreneurs understand that separation of venture and person. But I think a lot of people that aren't in the entrepreneur space and maybe in that sort of employee mindset, you know, they don't understand entrepreneurism necessarily. They, it terrifies them and all they, you know, all they see is these failures and that they apply that to failure. So I think that one phrase you said, I think is, is absolutely critical. And, you know, one thing I do with the mindset of some of my, my clients that are really doing hard mindset work is I help them try to self-identify using three words that have nothing to do with external relationships. So what I mean by that is like, well, I, I'm a mother. No, no, no. This is harsh. Like your kid's gone. Let's say I take you and I put you on a, a, an alien island, you know, and there's no one else around. Who are you now? Because you're not a mother now, right? Well, I'm a salesperson. Not, you're not a salesperson. That, that requires you to do, you know, people identify themselves in these roles. Like I'm a mother, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a teacher, I'm, I'm, I'm a coach. Like, but then when one of those things goes away, you, you, you lost part of yourself and it sets you back. Veterans do it, right? Well, I'm a soldier. Then you leave, you're not a soldier anymore. And they're just like, huh, they lose all their identity because they aren't Mike who happens to be a soldier. They're not, they're a, you know, a, a Marine. They're not Sean who happens to be a soldier at this, this moment in time. I am a soldier. And then the soldier gets taken away. Oh my God. But it, you see it happen with parents, right? Like I'll, I, I, I'm a mother and that's how they identify. And then guess what? Their kids go away and you see them just depressed. And like, well, who am I? No one needs me anymore. So they, they set their own self-worth and their own identity on something that is outside of their control, even if it's their own child. And I'm not saying that's not an important role to fill, but that's a role you are filling, but who are you outside of that role? And I think being able to get really confident about who you are as a human being, irregardless to any role you play to an external factor, can give you some resilience and also some guidance in the face of uncertainty to lean into. So like when I did mine, mine's rebel warrior leader. Like that's who I am. In any, any situation, any group, put, a, put me in you know, a, bunch, a group with purple people that I've never had before and all are different with different cultures. If I am fighting for a cause I believe in, if I, I'm a, I'm a rebel to a fault sometimes, like I'm turned off by things that are too popular, wherever the crowd's going, in my mind, if you're going where the crowd's going, that's a race to the mean. It's a race to average by definition. And so that I'm, I'm a rebel by nature. And, you know, I, and when I, I love seeing a group of people connect on a common value and a common mission to accomplish something. So leadership is wherever I'm put, I like that in some role, even if I'm following just the, that, that leader dynamic rebelling against sort of the status quo and looking for sort of contrarian positions and fighting for a cause greater than myself. That's who I am. If all my businesses go away and I start over, if I put me on an alien and, and I think if we get more people to again, do that self-work we talked about earlier, if you get to that place, you can't get knocked off because no one can take, no one can take those three things away from me ever. So now that's mine and I can find guidance in that and also creates resilience because you're not tied to these external relationships. You just saying your three, I just blurted out mine just in my head, right? Fighter, yeah. leader, renaissance man, right? That's why I podcast, oh, I, I ride, yeah. I do a bunch of stuff. And it's also how people identify me, right? People recently, people was like, Mike, man, love your fighter leadership. And I was like, damn, that's something I haven't heard since like the military. But there's so mm -hmm. many different layers to it, right? Not only the military background, but the Marine. I'm just a fighter, fighting, grinding it out through COVID, whatever. Leader, I keep finding myself in these leadership positions, even when I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'll just be like, oh, here's an idea. Well, somebody needs to take the lead on it, right? And then next thing you know, you're in this leadership role. And then the renaissance man, just because I explore a bunch of different things, right? Like I can do a podcast, I can write, I can box, I can coach, 
You know, I can lead Marines, right? Like this, this, this portfolio of experiences. And so like, I didn't think about that ahead of time. It's just when you said it, I was like, oh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Well, I think that's wonderful because I'll tell you what I found is it's, it's probably about 20% of the people I've talked to when I've asked that question straight out, which is a hard question. You never thought about it. Yeah. But even with some thought, four to five people really in, in a short time frame can't get there. They just haven't even thought that way. They haven't done that enough reflection, enough of self-identity. And I think that's, this is one of the things that we're seeing culturally right now is that life is moving so fast and it's so distracting and we're so far removed from the lifestyle that we're designed to live in from the modern world that everyone is just going and reacting to what feels good, what they want right now in the moment. And they're not slowing down and dedicating that time to do the introspection because life is just so fast paced. But the people that do it again, it's, it's just critical. I think to even define your own happiness, you know, when I, it's interesting you brought up the fighter thing. Cause for me, like the word is warrior, you know, whatever we, we could argue, maybe it's slightly different here and there, but, for the most part, that's that same sort of mentality. And that's why I called my book a warrior's mindset, because one of the one of the things I talk about in there is these seven fuels of gratitude. And one of them is a warrior's descendants. And, and I think this is critical for most people to understand. And I do think that when you people talk and hear about this, they identify with it. And most people do. But on its surface, it gets pushed back from sort of the greater community or our culture now is the word fighter or warrior to a lot of people would be almost seen as a oof, almost like a negative thing, right? Like we, we don't want to fight. We, don't, we just want to get along. We just want to, it's like, no, 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 no. You like, we're all warriors. Like our, in our genes, like we all are descendants of warriors. Cause I mean, we didn't even have civil, you know, till agricultural revolution came around 10,000 years ago, like that spurned a lot of like development and thoughts and stuff. But for 300,000 years as some form of homo sapiens, like, the, if you weren't willing to get out, risk something to, to, to go out and get food, you had to go kill stuff with pointy sticks, you had to defend your family against other, other animals and saber tooth tigers and other people, and you had to, and warring factions. Like, there were great peaceful civilizations that were probably wonderful to live in. They're all killed. Like, you know, like 50,000 years ago, you couldn't be a tribe of pacifists. Like, you're getting wiped off the face of the earth. Like, that's just the way it's, it's just, in our blood, we're all warriors, we're all fighters. And I think you that's why you see when you see people tap into things. When I see people come in and do jujitsu for the first time, and you see people maybe go to boxing or you go people like and they or people go do these tough mutters. Like people need we're warriors. Like we need to suffer, we need to push, we need to strive toward a, a common purpose and goal to feel fulfillment. There's no other way. Like we need that. And almost all the science, if you, I mean not almost all the science points to that. If you look at you know, even the, the we talk about with stress inoculation, there's a thing called the yerkes dotson curve, which is like performance, right? So when we don't have enough stress or enough arousal, our performance is actually worse. It's decreases, right? It's like summertime sadness, a teenage kid with nothing going on in the suburbs in the summer, right? Are they performing optimally? Are they happy, fulfilled? No, they're miserable because life is too easy. There's not enough push there. And then we get enough stress where we perform optimally. And then if we go too far, stress decreases. But man, You'll see it time and time again when them, I think that there's just something innate in us as human beings. And to me, when I look back, it's in our genetics. Like we are the descendants of warriors, of fighters, of people who were stood up and said, no, I'm going to fight for my land. I'm going to fight for resources. I'm going to fight for what I believe in. And that the, the winners of that, of 200,000 years of that war amongst different types of people are who we are today. And to try to deny that is sort of to deny, deny your own humanity. We're all searching for that hero's journey, right? That's really what it comes down to. And the hard thing is when you're in the military, the hero journey kind of already exists for you, mm -hmm. right? You go through boot camp or, you know, OCS or whatever. Then you get to your unit, you know, you earn your MOS. So like, right, you're going through that pathway. But guess what? When you're a civilian, you're an entrepreneur, you got to create your own promotions. You know, mm -hmm. you got to create your own pathway. And a lot of times you can get overwhelmed by it, right? And so as entrepreneurs, this is what we're talking about is like, how are we investing in ourselves, getting back to that like, so we can survive and thrive on that hero's journey, you know, driving sales, leading our team, 
you know, all the other stuff that comes with, you know, being an entrepreneur. And one thing I want to make sure I talk about with you, I know we've been going down a leadership rabbit hole. We've just been getting into it. But your entrepreneurial journey, I'm going to take off my armor, right? I mentioned before that I've recently become a coach with the Lions Pride. I can see the imposter over there to the left, you know? Mm-hmm. Who are you, Mike Stedman? You know, Iron Mike, right? What have you done? I haven't seen you on Forbes. I haven't seen you on all these different things, right? How are you going to provide value to a small business owner, you know, that's, you know, running a five, $25 million company, right? Like you can see it, right? I can see the imposter. Now, old me, before I practiced meditation, before I practiced mindfulness, right? I couldn't separate those thoughts from reality. So like now I can see the imposter, I can see him. And so now it's like, okay, well, how do you take action on that? Read, you know, start to come up with your own insights, right? You know, get training from another coach, right? Like I said, I have my own coach, Bill Watkins. I'm training with him, right? So there's, I'm attacking the imposter head on and I can see him. And I'm curious just to know is like, when you were going through your journey, getting your coaching business off the ground, you know, what was that like for you? Particularly given the fact that, like you said, you had already had some failures as a business owner. Man, you're, yeah, you're spot on on that. And I, and I would say, you know, to, to your point, you saw the, um, that, that imposter syndrome, right? That like, who am I to do these things? But then I think the, cause I think what you did is exactly is, is sort of the answer to this, which is then you saw, okay, who do I need to be? Who, but who is the person that's not the imposter syndrome? Who is the person that can provide that value? And then you set about creating and becoming that person. You know, like if you weren't, cause you're right. If you, if you weren't the person who meditated or did self-reflection or journaled or had your own thoughts, you probably aren't qualified, but the type of person who does those things, you become, you, that is the type of person that can coach. And, and cause you put yourself to this higher level and did that work and did that self-work. Like we, we talked about earlier, you know, I think that hero's journey really comes down to envisioning who you need to be. And this is something that I remember I was a lesson I learned in the military back my first, I don't even remember who told it to me or where it came up with it, but it was critical when I was, you know, a brand new, coming to a brand new platoon leader, right? There's not, there's not that many jobs. I tell people all the time that, Hey, as a 23 year old, Hey, your first job, here's, here's 36 people. By the way, you're responsible for, for their entire life. You know, here's 40 people. Here's 50, here's 50 people on a combat patrol in our, you know, in Iraq, Southwest Baghdad, you know, for like when you're 23, 24 years old, like new, who else is getting the job at Amazon and doing that? <laughs> you know, like it's so, it's so crazy that, that I always kind of reflect on that moment. Cause I did exactly that. And it was the same advice I came to the platoon leader came after me. It's like, look, you may not see yourself as the best leader, right? The best qualified person to do this job. Okay. That's fine. Who is like picture, picture the ideal platoon leader, infantry platoon leader, you know, Marine platoon leader of a, the, the, the ideal CEO of a comp of a $5 million. Like who is that person that you would look up and be like, yes, cool. Now you just got to go do that. Be that person. Like now, now it's easy. Just picture who it is. Now go, go do the work to become that person. And the people that are willing to do that are the ones who come up on top. So, I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with, well, okay, I'm not feeling confident in this. What, what do I, what does the type of person who I would say is perfect for that role, who is fit to do that? What do they do? Oh, they meditate, they journal, they do self-reflection, they read, they do. And then you just, and then so you, you became the vision. And I think that's what, you know, it's sort of an important lesson for us to learn, but yeah, for, for me, you know, when I got out, I knew that coaching leadership and solving problems is what I wanted to do. I got out in 2015, probably 2013, I made the decision that I was going to do that. But what I didn't want to do is get out and be the, you know, the military officer gets out right away and it's like, all right, business leaders, let me tell you about real leadership, right? We've all, we've all seen those guys and, and gals, not to show, throw shade, but they usually got Colonel in front of their name where they come out and they're like, all right, now let me, let me tell you what the real thing is. When it's like, there's, I didn't take a single business admin class at West Point. I don't know if you didn't look at this. That wasn't a thing, you know? So I knew enough to be like, it's probably different. You know, I've been leading Green Berets soldiers now for a few years and infantry soldiers. And like, it's probably different when you're dealing with a PL and employees. Like it's probably, I, I don't know. I, don't, I know enough to be like, I probably need to learn more. So for me, it was, this is really the end goal that I'm doing right now. 
but I came up with a two-prong approach that I thought would allow me to get there as fast as possible. And one was get a formal education in business because I didn't have one. So I went and got my MBA fully online with a full-time online program with UNC Chapel Hill. And then I thought, well, a franchise, as you mentioned before, was would be a good first business because you figure it's got a proven business model. You've got support and people who have experience. It's sort of pitched. Franchises are often pitched as, look, just run the play. Just get up, lead people, run the play. I'm like, well, I can do that. You know, I can work hard and lead people and run the play. But I made a few mistakes early. I didn't get, I would say that the model wasn't as flushed out as maybe it is in other, you know, I think franchises can be in different industries can be very different and difficult depending on where you're at. So made a few early mistakes, you know, signed a lease deal that I didn't know at the time, but found out later was probably 50% over what a profitable other franchisee was paying per square foot. And I, and then you get a uh, franchise too, you, you give away a lot of your control. So if I, I was confident if I could change the branding and if I could have changed the model, we could have succeeded, but contractually I couldn't do any of those things. And so I just got more in debt, more in debt. And it was, it was a spiral of me, like refuse being too stubborn for my own good. And I learned so much about humility. I learned so many business lessons about what works and what doesn't. And I also learned kind of what industry I wanted to be in. And I wanted to shift to the martial arts side versus sort of health and fitness. So closed my, my franchise and, you know, lost basically everything. And three years after being in the military and then found some partners, we started Legion Jiu-Jitsu and we, I was able to apply those lessons again, kind of start, start over, start over. But I, I think it's important, like you said, to mention, we're not really starting over because I wasn't the same person I was when I first got in the military. I knew, I mean, I had put myself through a, a three year business boot camp, MBA, running a whole company, seeing the whole, I mean, everything has to go with that. And I was able to apply those and it was so much smoother the second time. And so I kind of hit my second goal of that two pronged plan, which was get, start a company and get it self-sustainingly profitable. And so after a few years, I got the company to do that. So it was sort of after six, seven years of work, check, check, formal education and business and get a company that's self-sustainingly profitable. And that's when I felt personally ready to start this coaching business and start that cycle over of what this looks like. And then it's, like I said, two, two panic attacks in, in, in entrepreneurism and, and zero in combat. It's, it, it just shows you that it's not something to be taken lightly, but you just have to keep going. And as long as you refuse to, to quit and throw in the towel and you are willing to adapt and focus on providing value and not get so wrapped up in a particular solution, you can be successful. When did you know you could make this a sustainable business on the coaching side? So a lot of our listeners, right, they're in the early stages. They're still validating their business models. And I like to say, you know, before you go all in on something, you know, you need to make sure that there's a market demand for it. You validate it with paying customers. And then you can you make that decision of like, hey, we're going to go all in. So I'm curious to learn from you. Like, when did you know, like, hey, you know, given my past experiences with a failed business, right, like, I think this could work. It was exactly what kind of what you said there about getting paying customers. And then as soon as I had repeat paying customers, so I had people that were going through the, the frameworks, the system, the training, and then came back and said, yes, this was valuable. We want more. We, or we want, we want more for these people. We want this to be spread in other parts of our business. So I was lucky in the sense that, you know, one of my, not the first, but one of my first clients, and I, I know I can say their names, so don't mind, but is Bridgestone. So it's a Fortune 500 company was one of my first clients. And it started small with a presentation and like, yes, we want more. And then I'm on my sixth contract with them now. But after you've got a major company that or clients that are coming back to you and they're or if they're referring you, you know, if you're getting if you're providing a service and people are referring you to people they know, that's a great sign that you've got something of value that people are willing to pay for. When you have people that have already given you money and gotten some training and they want more from you or they want to repeat it, you know, they want to set up an ongoing thing with them, you know, ongoing coaching, ongoing. Now you're getting, it's, it's not just, if, if you just start selling one-offs, maybe you're just good at marketing, right? Maybe you're a good salesperson. That's cool. That's great. But you know that you've got a model, I think, that 
is doing something right when you have customers that are giving you money and in their minds, you gave them more value than they gave you dollars. And so they're willing to do that over and over and over again. And when they refer you to people that they know. So once I started getting so momentum where I was getting regular referrals and I was getting clients that were signing up over and over again, I think in sort of the coaching and service, any really sort of any service space, that's a good indicator. And conversely, if, if you're not, if the people that you're making one sale on or with, and then you provide your service, if they're not, if none of them are coming back for more or nothing of them are asked for, what else do you have? And maybe they're not as willing to refer you to people. You might not be, you might need to relook what you're doing. Cause I think if you're getting those two things done, that's a good sign that you're on, you're on the right track and you've got a model that's replicable. I love that, man. And you said something that's real important about the first client, right? And I tell people, you need to gain a foothold, right? You need to gain a foothold with someone that's not investing where you are currently, but it's investing in your potential, right? So people see potential in you, given your background, Sean. So I'm pretty sure that's why they were like, you know what? Let's give this guy a chance. Let's have him come in and stuff, et cetera, right? So a lot of times, right, we don't realize that you need to spend time getting that initial foothold, right? We have these grand ambitions for our ventures. We're going to scale up and go to the moon. I got it. But it all starts with that first client, that first customer, that first contract, right, that you're going to be able to build off of. And just like the military, you know, gain that foothold, then you can flow the rest of your forces through. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think it's a great visual of that, that foothold. And then you have to, you have to go all in on, on those first few key clients. I mean, you want to go all in on all of them, but like, you need to make sure that, you know, don't be the person who, you know, the, the end of the interaction, the end of the, the sort of critical point of that sale is not the sale. It's not you get, it's not you collecting the money first. It's really the process. It's you providing, exceeding the, the, the amount they gave you in dollars and cents with value back to them and ensuring you do that, you know, every time, you know, one of my sort of personal mantras, and this is my wife makes fun of me when I go to these networking stuff or whatever. And she's just like, God, oh, you just keep talking to these people. And they, you know, you, and the, you just get these conversations and go on them. And, and I just have this sort of internal mantra that every interaction is a chance to exceed someone's expectations. And that's how I look at it. And it doesn't matter if that's me walking up and holding the door for the person behind me to go in the grocery store. I just exceeded their expectations of someone in front of me or, you know, being the one who actually stops and helps somebody get directions or, you know, just like, it's not just random kindness. It's just like, whatever that person is exceeding from you, you know, hopefully every podcast I show up to, I want them to be like, you know, yeah, Sean, he's got a good background. Yeah, he's successful, but, but I wanted to finish it. And I, I do a podcast with you. We're like, damn, that was better than I thought. You know, like that's, I want that to happen with every client and that's in, and it, and I try to practice that in every single interaction I have with every single person in my life. You know, I want to exceed my wife's expectations of what a husband can be. I want to exceed my expectations with my best friends of, of what a good friendship looks like, you know? And so I think if you just look at every relationship like that and look at your business the same way, this is every moment, every time you email, talk to them, get up in front of them, give a talk, give a speech, give a workshop, create content. Your goal should be whatever person, whatever their expectations were, I'm going to exceed them every time. What's been the best, what's been the most challenging part about getting your coaching business off the ground? What's keeping you up at night lately? Well, right knee, right now, you know, we're about three years in. I, we were mentioning kind of before we, before we start recording is scaling right now. And so I do think that, especially in a service-based model, you know, the whole adage of like, you need to replicate yourself. Yes, I think that's true, but also like, you're never going to replicate yourself and that's okay. You know, I think if you, I, I, I see a lot of people in a lot of businesses as they start to scale and, and it was true with my other businesses, we scaled that one, but they have that mantra of like, well, I'm going to replicate myself. Like, no, you're not like you're no one. It's your business. Like you, if you set the standard of, well, this person can take over this when they can do it just as good as me, you're never going to, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be able to scale and hand over things. And the reality is. It's probably 70, 80%, right? Like if you can create a system of training and bringing the right person, 
and you can get someone else to do what you do, 80% is good, but you have to spend 10% of the time to make it happen. That's, that's a great value. That's a great hire, you know? And so for me right now, the, the scaling and with this coaching and, and these taking the ideas and concepts I have and making them so they can be replicated and making sure that they can be applied by someone else. And then also I'm trying to set up the framework. So, you know, I don't want them to have to tell my stories, right? Like, so I'm trying to set it up to where like, you can get a coach, you can come in with their own perspectives and their own lessons, because those are going to be the genuine lessons that are going to connect with people. And so I'm really working through how do I do that while of course still growing the business and servicing clients and doing sales, you know, entrepreneurism, like we, the, the kind of the phrase of it's like trying to change your tire while you're driving down the road is applicable here. And so as you scale, I'm trying to make sure that I am doing it in a way that we continue to provide value. I can bring in people who have skill sets and strengths I don't have so that every person we add is expanding our capabilities and to do that in an intelligent way, because I do have a little, I met business coach and I was talking about this. I do have a little uh, PTSD, little mindset issue that I, I thought, I thought this way with my first business. I'm like, Oh, we're almost there. And then it all sort of fell apart. And so I have a little bit of almost reverting back to almost like a scarcity mindset here of this, this almost a fear of success. Yeah. Right. And so that's sort of where I'm at right now in terms of the mental work I'm having to do is not letting, not letting those fears, almost that fear of success, that fear of, well, when, when's the car, when's the deck going to fall down and when's the shoe going to drop lean into it? And that's not, and it's not inevitable. And, and so, and that's what my business coach was, you know, he did a great job of being, look, man, you're, I've seen people where you're at right now. You know, I, I'm, I'm blessed. My coaching business is going to, it's funny. I'm like, have all these doubts, but we're going to more than five X from last year. Yeah. You know? So it's like, so he's like, Hey man, look at you, look at, you know, kind of wake up, wake up, <laughs> you look, look at what you're doing. Look at the trend line, you know, get, get out of the, get out of the mud. You're just digging so hard. Look how far you've come and look at how promising the future is. And so that, that's, that scaling and the mindset to that, to get to the next level is, is possible. And at this point in, it's, it's kind of inevitable is, is sort of my big struggle right now. I appreciate you sharing that, man. And there's a couple of resources out there. One, it's Mike McCallowitz's book, Run Like Clockwork. That's a great resource. And as a brand guy, like brand strategist, this is good for our listeners to understand what Sean is going through is what we're all going to go through at some point. I go through it as well. What we have to do is we have to, the machine, our business becomes the product, right? So like right now, the business is, you know, Sean, you're out there, you're teaching your stuff, you're going, whatever. We got to do is we got to separate you a little bit from that so that your business has its own personality, its own phrases, its own core values, right? All these different aspects of it. And that way you're not pumping people through your coaching, you're pumping people through the company, right? Mm -hmm. And at the company, this is how we do things here, right? So you, you create the left and right lateral limits for your other coaches to come in and operate. Hey, we like the warrior spirit. You know what I mean? Like all these different aspects. And that way you give some autonomy to the coaches as long as they operate within the system. But again, what you're doing is you're selling the system and not just the individual coach. Exactly. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That is that exactly where I'm at right now. And, you know, is it's interesting because when we start off, especially in service-based businesses, like, like I am now, it's you're often your first sale is on you. You know, you mentioned it before, like, you're right. Those first few clients, I mean, even some of mine now, like my background and who, who I am is why we, we got in the door to at least have a conversation, right? At least got us in the door. But that, that needs to be transferred over that, that authenticity, that credibility and authority needs to get shifted over to the company now and start separating it, you know, and it, and it's little, it's, it's important at the like sort of the macro level, I think, like and the model wise, like you're talking about and the branding, like all that stuff. And then you have the tactical side of like, all right, so now how do I push maybe my social media following and start pushing over to a brand following? You know, how do I 
how do I start even from a messaging standpoint, start to separate out what stronger leader, stronger profits is so that it becomes that that is what has credibility. And then my credibility is sort of added on top and not the main focus. So I think that's a critical part of most businesses and some great, great advice there, Mike, on, on how to look at it. I'm taking some notes because I think this could be a good conversation I come up on. And maybe I do a solo episode on the podcast about how to start getting the process going on that. That's where you start to create templates. You know what I mean? You templatize mm -hmm. everything, right? You start to get level up. Mm -hmm. So, Sean, I think that would be I think that would be a, a really good, a good value because you're right. That is something that is sort of a critical phase that I that almost all you know successful entrepreneurs go through. And I think it's one it's, it's a critical one because it's where you start to separate yourself from being a you know, self-employed to being a business owner. That's really where, it, to me, that's where it starts to split. Like you said, there's like a, there's a magic moment as a business owner where, you know, somebody makes some content, a lead comes in, they talk to somebody else that's not you, then they walk them through a process, they make it close, and they hand it off and someone else services it. And that whole thing happened without you. And then money just shows up. Like the first time that happens in your business where you didn't have to touch it and it just worked is like, is an incredible feeling. And it really is sort of the difference between, like I said, someone who's like a solopreneur, like, a, you know, I, I create a business, but really I created a job because I want to function independently versus I'm a business owner who owns, like you said, this machine that functions outside of me. And, and that is a hard step. And I think there's a lot of people who try and don't get that. And they just sort of retreat back to, well, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to have a 300, 400, $500,000 a year business forever and sort of a lifestyle business. And I'm going to be self-employed versus be a business owner. And I think creating some content about a framework to help people make that split would be super valuable. And you think about it, right? We've already seen it in the military, right? If you served in the infantry battalion, you have the company and you have a company commander and XO. Guess what? Even if the company commander is not there, right? The company does the X, right? We talk about the specific company. We don't talk about just the company commander. The company is a machine. The XO manages the processes and he's the COO, essentially, mm -hmm. right? The structure is there. You got your platoon commanders, you got your leaders, right? So again, we know this stuff, we've seen it. It's just about applying it to our current field of play in business. So if you think about your business as its own company, which it is, right? How do you make that company? What are the things that need to be in place for it to operate independently of you, right? What are the systems? What are the processes? Or the personnel, right? And you start baby steps, right? For a small business owner, it's usually you and your virtual assistant, right? Right mm -hmm. out the gate, right? Then you start to hire team members, contractors, and stuff, et cetera. But like, don't sleep on that VA, filling that COO role, that XO role, you know, but getting the machine to work independently of you. Yeah, absolutely. And my my assistant, I look, I've had I've had VA before. I have I'm looking at my assistant actually is in lives in Nashville and is a friend and, and my executive assistant. And that's kind of what our conversation is, is any new idea or process that we want to sort of get going and I want to get going, but I'm not ready to just like throw down as a model with like people in it. I'm not ready to, I'm not ready. It hasn't gotten big enough or we haven't finalized the framework enough where I'm ready to, you know, hire contractors or even W2ers or something to do it. She does it. So it's like, okay, we're going to, whatever is the newest thing, we're going to sort of work on this together. I'm going to task you with it and then massage it. And once we're like, okay, we've got the system, boom, now throw over, here's our social media marketing brand strategy, and we're going to put somebody in charge of it. But as we sort of develop the ideas initially, I use her to, as sort of that startup, almost that foothold phase, like, let's get a foothold on this process together. And then once we've got it down, I would use my assistant for that sort of thing, sort of the XO. And then, all right, cool. Now, now we can, we can put it into play and put some manpower behind it. Love it, man. I feel like we could go, I feel like we could talk all day, man. That's what happens when you get, <laughs> get two entrepreneurs on chopping it up. Before we go though, I got a couple more questions. Number one, what's your BHAG as an entrepreneur? What are you working towards? What's that, you know, North Star in the sky? So mine's, so there's, there's a few and I can do different levels of this and I, mine's kind of big. So sometimes I refrain from doing it, but I have a, 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 some, I have a number that's a pretty high number, but I want it because I set that as, I think if I have these resources and I've accomplished this, this, like this number, 
it will allow me to have influence on our sort of national policy, our national policy and politics. I'm kind of a policy nerd. <laughs> like I'm a policy geopolitical nerd. And I'm a firm believer in this, maybe make enemies, that's fine, that the two-party system we have in this country is fundamentally flawed. I think kind of like we talked about, I think it got us to a certain level, but I think it could also be our undoing. And so I have a vision of trying to help get the beginnings of a centrist third party in this country, a minority party that I think can help sort of shift and maybe create a new American enlightenment or new American renaissance by taking sort of this left and right division and the, the pendulum just swings from one side to the other, just slams back and forth. And, I, and so I have a monetary goal that I want to hit in 25 years to be able to, I'm not a patriot. I just want, I just think America can thrive. And I'm not sure if our system is set up to do that moving forward in the modern world. And so that's what drives me forward. So, you know, when you have a great North Star like that, or, you know, whatever North Star means to you, people sometimes ask, well, how do you keep going? How do you build this resilience? Well, the North Star is the third key to greatness in my book, as, as you brought up, because it's so important. Because when I'm feeling down, I literally am like, can wrap my head in my own self story that like the future of Western values in America rests on me getting up and doing the freaking hard work that I don't want to do today, because that's what I'm trying to do. And so it's like bigger than me. It's about impacting others. And, and, and that's my BHAG that, that drives me to push every day to help create the resources to create the impact that I want to make in the future. Love it, man. And as we close out here, what advice or words of encouragement would you like to leave with our listeners as they continue on their own entrepreneurial journey? As you go through this, I just actually want to bring it back to you need to treat your own self-development like the most important client meeting you have. Like it, when it goes in your calendar to meditate or to journal, it's so easy to sometimes let ourselves down to lie to ourselves say i'm gonna get up at five and run tomorrow and then hit the snooze to i'm gonna start journaling i'm gonna meditate i'm gonna do self-work but oh but then i gotta but the dishes and the kids and the and and, and the clients and i gotta call here I'll, I'll do that tomorrow that tomorrow and we don't spend enough time on those activities that are actually going to drive our success and can also lead to burnout and some of the mental health issues that we talked about. And so self-discipline and commitment to self-development is really about trust. It's about building trust with yourself that when you put on your calendar, I'm going to meditate tomorrow at 930, you actually do it. And I'm going to work out tomorrow. And I'm going to read this book when I'm going to go to this course and, and realize how important it is. And you actually follow through, you build trust and build self-esteem with yourself. And every time you don't do it, even subconsciously, you lose confidence in yourself. You lose trust in yourself. And eventually it gets to a point where you're like, I don't even trust me. And so it's like, why even put forward the effort? Why do that? And not only that, but if I don't trust me, why would other people trust me? Why should I trust other people? And it impacts your own, it's, it, it dampens your ability to have quality relationships with others when you can't have a trusting relationship with yourself. And so I would just say start, say start small, create, Easy habits, easy wins up front, but build on those and commit to those and give them sort of the reverence that they're due because without it, you're going to lose, you're going to lose trust in yourself and confidence in yourself. And you're not going to have, you're not going to build and become the type of person that can have, that can be a great business owner and, and, and not just a business owner, but not a business owner that's miserable in the rest of their lives. Right, which is, we see those too. I know, I know you know, I know a lot of miserable millionaires. Yeah. And what's the point? You know, like that was a lot of the mindset work I started doing with these executives because I started working with them on leadership stuff about leading other people to be thriving whole people. And then I'd ask them about their lives, hugely successful in business. It's like, well, my kids my kids don't really talk to me. Oh, my wife, my wife, ooh, we, we're kind of living apart. You know, it's just like, so is that success? Success to you is having a bunch of money, but awful relationships and no trust. Like that's not success to me. And so if, if you're trying to create a whole, like success as a whole person, you've got to put in the work in yourself and you have to give it the reverence it deserves. 100%, man. 100%. It's been an honor having you on the platform today, chopping up. I'm so glad we got to hang out in person. 
And I think we provide a lot of value today, man, just the conversation, everything from talking about the challenges from a mental health perspective when you're dealing as an entrepreneur, thinking through, you know, how to validate models before you go all in. And then also wrapping up at the end about like, how do we scale ourselves, you know, out of the business, man. So I think it's going to provide a lot of value and I appreciate you for making time. Where can people find you? How can they support you? Well, awesome, man. Yeah, Mike, this has been fantastic. It was great to, to sit down and be able to chat with you a bit more. So my company website is strongerleaderstrongerprofits.com. Got all our information about how we can support you and your companies and providing leadership training there. And then I'm on Instagram as Sean Patton Presents. And you can just find me, Sean Patton, on, on LinkedIn as well. For all our listeners, man, make sure you head over and check out his website. I'll be sure to put the link in our show notes. And make sure you also subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stepman at bunkerlabs.org. So until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.